you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Matchin once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. Height is probably one of the most variable traits in humans, with individuals ranging from under 2 feet to the 8 foot 11 of Robert Wadlow. In this episode, we'll be focusing on the smaller end of that spectrum, on some of those who were not only dwarves, but some of the smallest dwarves out there. More specifically, on two individuals, the Sicilian Caroline Krishami and the Mexican Lucia Zarate. Like the hypertrichosis which Julia Pastrana discussed in episode 36 had, so-called primordial dwarfism is actually a number of different medical conditions. Primordial dwarfs usually hover somewhere around two and a half feet tall, with several being even less. What exact variety of the condition Caroline Krishami had has not, to the best of my knowledge, been definitively determined, although it's theorized to have been Seckel syndrome or so-called bird-headed dwarfism, the same condition which affected Cuckoo the Bird Girl from the movie Freaks. It should be noted, though, that this diagnosis is based on an inaccurate portrait. Lucia Zarate had the variant known as microcephalic osteodysplastic primordial dwarfism 2, or MOPD2. The story of Caroline Krishami, at least, is one of unfortunate circumstance and a duplicitous promoter, as are far too many stories of those of unusual appearance. At some time around 1823 or 1824, the first appearances of the Little Sicilian, called the smallest of all persons noted in the records of littleness, are noted in Liverpool and other cities in western England. She was accompanied by a Dr. Gilligan. By April 12, 1824, she had arrived in London. The exhibition was visited by surgeon and anatomist Sir Everard Home, and by means of association with a prominent doctor, Gilligan managed to, pro- to pay a visit to Carlton House and to King George IV himself. In his own writings, Home, perhaps unsurprisingly given the time period, puts forth the idea of maternal impression. Maternal impression in which it was thought that a severe shock could cause traits of the object of fear to transfer to the unborn child, was a common explanation given for why such severe human anomalies exist. If a child with ichthyosis, or scaly skin, was born, for instance, maternal impression might dictate that the mother had been frightened by a snake or lizard while pregnant. 
Likewise, the mother of a baby with hypertrichosis, the abnormal growth of hair, might have been frightened by some hairy animal like an ape or a dog. In the case of Krishami, the theory was that her mother had been riding on a carriage when a thunderstorm began. To seek shelter, a monkey, which had been riding on the carriage's roof for some reason, came inside while the mother was sleeping. She had later awoken to find the little creature curled up near her, and it was thought that the shock had caused her baby to be born with what were perceived as monkey-like features. Dr. Gilligan seems to have at first promoted the idea that he was from Palermo, Sicily, and that he was diminutive of Italian's father, disguising himself and trying to make himself up to appear Italian. But his Irish accent was still very much evident, this prompting theater owner and humorist Charles Matthews to ask the foreigner if it was Palermo and the county of Cork where he was born. Gilligan later wrote a promotional pamphlet entitled Memoirs of Miss Crachami, the Celebrated Sicilian Dwarf, in which he told what at least purported to be the real story. The girl had, indeed, been born in Palermo in November of 1815, making her just under nine years of age. She had been born to a Louis Emmanuel Crachami and his wife. It was said that at the time of her birth, she was only seven inches long and weighed only one pound. Lewis, who was a musician by trade, had become employed at a theater in Dublin. The girl was always of poor health and was believed to suffer from tuberculosis in addition to her diminutive size. Some versions of this tale had Gilligan convincing the Krishamis that the air in England was better suited to a tuberculosis patient than that in Ireland, but another had him making it clear to her father that as a man of science, he was anxious that such an extraordinary phenomenon should not be lost to the physiological world. In any case, he brought her to England. I discussed in the Julia Pastrana episode how such promotional pamphlets were often full of inaccuracies and blatant fictions, and usually were meant to prop up the supposed unearthliness of whatever curiosity they were associated with. This one, however, seems to be accurate at least insofar as her birth and parentage is concerned. How exactly it was that Gilligan gained custodianship over, the, over Caroline, who can now say? While she was in London, newspaperman William Jordan went to see the girl several times at the rooms Gilligan had arranged at Bond Street. Only imagine a creature about half again as large as a newborn infant, he wrote. Perfect in all parts and lineaments, uttering words in a strange, unearthly voice, understanding what you say and replying to your questions. Imagine, I say, this figure of about 19 inches in height and 5 pounds in weight, and you will have some idea of this, of this most extraordinary phenomenon. That's right, Jordan measured Krishami and found her to be only 1 foot 7.5 inches in height. On June 3, 1824, it was said that nearly 200 people came to see Krishami. After the exhibition was done, and the public made their way back into the city, it was said that a langer appeared to come over her, and on her way from the exhibition room, she expired. Remember that she was afflicted with some respiratory ailment, likely tuberculosis, in addition to whatever health problems may have been caused by her condition. It's not absolutely known what she died of, but it's assumed to have been this ailment. About a week and a half later, 
on June 14th, a man whose name was given in the press as Fogel came to the magistrate's office on Marlborough Street, requesting that Dr. Gilligan be arrested. Fogel told the magistrate that he was the father of Caroline Krishami. He said he had seen stories in the newspaper about his daughter's death and had come to London from Dublin searching for Dr. Gilligan. Here we need to address the matter of the father's name. Fogel, clearly not an Italian name. Did the newspapers have it wrong and the father's name was Louis Emanuel Krishami, as Gilligan stated? How then did the newspapers manage to mangle it into Fogel? Was Gilligan making up the name of the father? And if so, was Caroline Krishami actually even Italian at all? Certainly, some of the details Fogel provided match with the details recorded by Gilligan about the girl's father. Anyway, when the father arrived at the Bond Street address, he was told that Gilligan was gone. He had disappeared the day after the girl's death. Asking around, he eventually found a man named Joshua Brooks, who said that he had been approached by Gilligan who offered to sell him the girl's body, but he refused to pay. Eventually, Fogel met with Sir Everard Holm at his offices in Sackville Street. Holm was under the impression that Fogel was actually an employee of Gilligan come to collect his fee. When told he was not, angrily, one might assume, Holm told the father a similar story to, to Brooks, that he had refused to personally purchase the corpse, but that he referred Gilligan to the Royal College of Surgeons who, he said, might be interested. He didn't know what price they might have agreed upon, however. When Fogel went to the college, he was horrified to find that he was too late to retrieve the body. The dissection of his daughter was already underway. The newspapers describe a pitiful scene of Fogel collapsing over the corpse of his daughter, and not moving at all until forcibly removed with the doctors saying that the dissection would proceed no further. Later, it was learned that, in the lifetime of the child, and while it was still being exhibited, that some members of the College of Surgeons had offered, if any misfortune should occur to cause the child's death, to give him 500 pounds for the remains, for the purposes of dissection and the use of the college, to put amongst their collection of extraordinary instances of the whims and freaks of nature. In the end, it was said Gilligan received 1,500 pounds for the girl's remains. He was never found, and it was rumored that he fled to France. Despite the promises of the doctors, Sir Everard Holm ordered that Caroline Krishami's body be skeletonized and mounted for display. It's still technically unknown exactly which of the several types of primordial dwarfism Caroline had, and it's possible she might have had a new type entirely. A diagnosis of Seckel syndrome was first made, as I said, but as it was based on a portrait of her which gave her the characteristic jutting forehead and pointed nose of that disease. However, an examination of the cast made of her face makes it clear that these traits weren't actually evident and that her face was proportioned more or less normally. So, I'd think that rules out Seckel Syndrome. An examination made of her teeth in the 1950s called into question the true age of the child. While the commonly accepted version of her past made her nearly nine, doctors felt that the condition of her teeth was more consistent with a three-year-old. This, again though, isn't necessarily as it sounds, 
since it seems that dwarfism, and primordial dwarfism in particular, can lead to seemingly contradictory evidence as to age. This is one issue I have with the recent story about the Russian girl who was ado adopted and who was said to be far older than she was made out to be. That even though it seemingly confirmed that that was the case, those tests which confirmed it might not necessarily really mean anything. Certainly, despite how William Jordan made it out in his articles, some descriptions of Caroline Krishami do make it seem that her vocabulary was a bit limited for a child of nine, we'll put it that way. But that again might not be too big a deal. Several of the varieties of primordial dwarfism do cause microcephaly and mental disabilities. Some places record that Caroline Krishami was the shortest person on record, and I suppose that technically that could be true. However, keep in mind that she was also only nine years old, and so not mature. A girl from the Netherlands named Pauline Musters was only two inches taller than Caroline, and she was 19 at the time of her death. So I suppose there could be some controversy, but as Musters was an adult, she's the record holder as far as I'm concerned. Whatever one might think of the underhanded way in which the body was procured, it remains at the Hunterian Museum at the Royal College of Surgeons today, along with plaster casts of her face and arm and some articles of clothing. Several decades later, in the 1870s and 1880s, another primordial dwarf again appeared on the world stage. This one was Mexican, and her name was Lucia Zarate. She was born sometime around the year 1870 to wealthy landowners Fermín and Tomasa Zarate at their hacienda called El Gastadero. The ranch is now located in the city of Zempoala. Not too many details are known about the family, but they had four children, one whose name is not known, Evangelina, Lucia, and Manuel. It seems there might have been a few other children as well. Of the children, only Lucia and Manuel were of unusual size. Both parents and all the other children were of normal size. It's said that Manuel died in, Mon in Monterey, Mexico, and that shortly thereafter, the parents took Lucia to Europe. Here she began performing with her, with her normally sized sister Evangelina. Eventually, the family made their way to the United States. By 1876, she was often shown along with Charles Francis Flynn, a dwarf from New York State, who performed under the name General Might. As the Royal American Midgets, Zarate and Flynn were managed by Frank Uffner and toured America and Europe. In an account of an exhibition in Philadelphia in 1876, it was said that the smallest of all the centennial visitors is a little Lucia Zarate, 12 years old, 20 inches high, and weighing only 5 pounds. We may add that Lucia Zarate at birth was but 9 inches in length and weighed but 3 quarters of a pound. It was noted that a typical ring could fit over her hand and be worn like a bracelet. Another account said that her head, about as big as a man's fist, is well-shaped and covered with soft brown hair. The only thing out of line with her size is her nose. That was evidently made for a larger girl, but it will do. She has bright black eyes and is intelligent, conversing with a little voice in the language of her parents. Some observers felt that she had a, quote, low order of intelligence, but then it should be remembered that at the time, although she was billed as being 12 years old, she was probably only 6 or 7.
Others said that Lucia was a bit of a diva, flying into a perfect rage at any apparent neglect and scolding like a little shrew. Tantrums again might be explained by the fact that the girl was considerably younger than her, than her build age. Eventually, she stopped being billed with Flynn, who had married an English dwarf named Millie Edwards and began touring with her. Many places seem to say that Lucia was heartbroken and had fallen in love with her partner, but I'm inclined to think this was just a promotional tactic as much as anything else. Although it might have been true, who knows. She continued touring for several years, and in 1889 was embarking for a tour of the West Coast. As the train on which she was riding with her family traversed the Sierra Nevadas near Truckee, California, a severe snowstorm blocked the train's progress on January 15, 1890. Eventually, almost 25 feet of snow had fallen, and the train was snowbound for several weeks. Due to Lucia's condition and sensitive system, it was required that she be fed a very specific diet. The train was snowbound long enough, however, that the supplies ran out. And though the train had food on, had food on board, upon eating the canned provisions the railroad had available, Lucia swiftly fell ill. On January 28th, she died. The train was still snowbound for two more days. She was returned to Mexico for burial. When I did my episode on Julia Pastrana, I had always been intending on doing further episodes on some, on some other sideshow attractions and things like that, since they've always interested me somewhat. I'd guess that there's a decent amount of overlap between people interested in these and people interested in the more quote-unquote fringe fields like cryptozoology, since it's a display of just how much variation there can be in human appearance. <laughs> And that's the end of this episode. A list of sources consulted for this episode can be found in the show description. Photos associated with this episode will, as always, be on my Instagram at Forgotten Darkness. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to the Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarknessPodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast. And so, until next episode, this is Andrew, signing off. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.